sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And let's just get started uh, and say good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, Merry Christmas, first of all. <laughs> and a happy new year to you and yours. You and Prospero Año Nuevo, filled with salud as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, great myrtles. You know, leaves are dropping off and everything, and uh, those little... Uh, Seed pods or whatever you would call them, you know, right. left over. And that's after. exactly what they are, seed pods. Okay. Uh, would you lop them off or just let them fall off by themselves eventually? Eventually, I would lop them off. But right now, Mike, those seeds are important food for birds. And so at this time of year, now, if this was uh, mid-July, I would tell you that by cutting the seed pods off, or uh, in effect, deadheading them, you could probably stimulate more flowering. But at this point, they're totally dead little twigs with totally dead little seed pods, but they are still an important food source for lots of birds. So I tend to leave them on now by, say, the middle of February when we normally be pruning our crepe myrtles at that point the seeds have either been eaten or fallen out so at that point you might as well just go ahead and clip them off if you desire but uh again i leave them but the the sole reason that i leave them is just uh to per you know benefit wildlife well i learned something new again today i never would have even thought <laughs> That there would be still seeds in them for the birdies. Uh, well, depends on how much the birds have already eaten of them. There may or may not be. And if you watch, I'm not sure what uh, all you have over in your area, but where I live, uh, it's mainly the little black-back lesser goldfinches, which are very colorful little yellow and black birds. And uh, they're just acrobats uh, between the crepe myrtles. And if you have any old sunflowers, they literally will hang upside down by one foot pecking, getting the seeds out of them. So I find some entertainment in uh, in watching the wildlife. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's it's part of being a gardener to me. It's just doing everything you can to support our native, uh, our native wildlife as well as the environment. I totally agree. And, uh, again, thank you. Uh for uh, some interesting information. Uh, well, <laughs> you are certainly welcome, and uh, you call me as you know whenever I can help. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> bye. All right, bye-bye. All right. James is second this morning. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I don't have that log on the fire, and I don't have that, that cup of hot tea or coffee in front of me like you probably do, but, you know, it's not so bad sitting in here in front of this microphone talking to my friends. Great. Uh, hey, uh, my one of my seed guys up in Maine told me that you boys in Texas really don't know anything about cold weather because uh, the <laughs> discharge shoot on my snowblower is frozen and I can't adjust it. So when your discharge shoot on your snowblower gets frozen, it's pretty cold outside. It is. Well, I'll I'll add one more thing to us uh, that I was talking about. My friend and his wife driving back from Colorado yesterday. He said at 20 below, 
the windshield washer fluid froze. He said that that Texas windshield washer fluid is only good down to about 20 degrees. He said if I buy it here in Colorado, it's good to about 20 below. But he said <laughs> when he tries to tries to clean his windshield off every time you know a big truck goes flying by him and coats him with the mud and debris and things like that, he has to stop and get out and clean the windshield because his uh, his windshield washers are all frozen up. So that uh, that might not be quite as bad as a frozen shoot on a snowblower but it it sure does tell you that uh, we have a lot to be thankful for down here this far south of the mason dixon line yeah yes, sir. hey i got a report from the farm for you uh, okay talking to craig over at redwood city um he's my pepper guy he's yeah he's got them all and i was telling him i was doing trays and covering them covering the trays with uh with the vermiculite and he says no so he says use up <clears throat> excuse me um, like a pine bark and sift it down to pretty fine consistency and then mix a little blood meal and bone meal in there and cover those trays with that. So I fixed it up, covered the trays, and I've got germination on some of those Peruvian yellow peppers in, mm-hmm. in four days, five days. Wow. And, I, yeah, that's what I said. So I just wanted to tell you guys about it. Uh, do you charge the trays with that coco loco and then cover them with the sifted pine bark uh, with uh, a little bit of blood meal and bone meal in there and man i'm telling you i've never had uh germination like like this before well again i know you professional guys you know can't can't give up uh you know the production for experiments but it would be really interesting to do some of that covering maybe Cover a different tray with uh, with that, but leave out the bone meal, and then do a second tray and leave out the blood meal, and then do a tray where you, you leave out the bark and just put the other things in, and see if we can narrow down whether which one of those things is making the difference, or whether it's sort of a synergistic thing where all three of them work together. Now, Redwood City and that part of the world out there, they've you know they they have a lot of conifers. They don't have the same pines and things that we do here so i'm not sure how critical if there's anything in the bark that would actually help with germination or if it's just a physical presence but you know me i want to know what works but i also want to try to figure out how it works so that we can expand that knowledge to other things but that's that's great information to have now did you soak those seeds like you were telling us you did did your other seeds in uh your seaweed mix as well well, you know, I, have, I haven't got time for seaweed. It's potassium nitrate. Okay. Me, man. Yeah. You know, we're, we're using uh, the, the salt feeder. Uh-huh. And I was, uh, you know, a guy like me gets seed catalogs from everybody. <laughs> yeah. Seed catalog from seeds and such, and they're even offering, um, you can order packets of, of uh the salt peter well that's a good thing to know that's a good thing to know salt peter to the best of my knowledge is not regulated in any way but uh you know since we've gotten away from having our mom and pop pharmacies like we used to always have and they're replaced with these blasted big you know corporate things that are just worthless as far as customer service and i used to be able to buy salt peter you know at every drugstore in town but 
then they're all so afraid that somebody's going to use it improperly and, you know, use it to make things that go bang that it's just real hard to uh, to find much anymore. So it's it's good to know that some of the seed companies uh, are offering it. And uh, and and this is your this is your seed guys out of Redwood, out of Redwood, California. A little outfit called uh, Craig doesn't recommend it anymore just for the reasons you, you stated there. But uh, this is an outfit called Seeds and Such. Uh-huh. Send you those little uh, little seed catalogs. Uh, I must be on everybody's list. <laughs> oh, that's fun to that's that's fun to know, and always always good information. And uh, do you do you uh, you know grow your seedlings under just natural light, or do you supplement the light to get a strong, stocky little plant? Um, oh, I put the the lights on even before they germinate. I uh-huh. found. Uh, that even an hour or two without light, you'll have some wimpy, limpy-looking uh, uh, seedlings. I always get the lights on even before they're ready to come up because, <clears throat> excuse me, they need they need light as soon as they pop out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I man, yeah, I got the lights going. And and you leave the lights on twenty four seven. Well, they're on timers from 6 o'clock to about 8 o'clock. Okay. Just like the heat mats are on timers from 6 to 8. Okay. Very good. Well, it's just, you know, we we all learn from the guys that do the most of it, and you certainly uh, bring the knowledge to the table of us, a person who's grown a lot of peppers and other things. So you're so kind to, to share that knowledge with us. It's, you know, and, and that's another thing old Malcolm taught us all is that, uh, Knowledge should never be hoarded. It should be shared. And it's so funny. I, I know people in the business, some of them locally, that they learn something about growing something better. Man, they want to keep it to themselves. They want to be the only ones that know about that. But in my experience, they don't prosper nearly as those much as those people who uh, who share that knowledge and help everybody else to do better with it. And so uh, I do sincerely appreciate uh, you're taking a time, little time with us when you have the opportunity because uh, my chance to learn from you as well. Well, you know, to make the world safe for flaming hot chili peppers, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I, it's it's amazing, and, and I don't know who or how, but they say some of those peppers are so hot that they're actually, you know, looking for military applications of it. And, uh, you know, my only real interest in it is I want them to put something that flaming hot in that bear spray I carry when I'm hiking around the Rocky Mountains. But uh, it's, um, you know, it's it's a good thing. And the capsaicin has been shown to do so many good things for the human body from, uh, you know, pain relief in joints to uh, supporting a lot of different endocrine functions. Uh, Just peppers, peppers are a good thing and people live better if they consume a fair number of peppers. I'm not quite as addicted. We had one commercial grower here in San Antonio. We used to take out to lunch every now and then. And uh, Rusty carried a little Ziploc of the hottest peppers he could find in his pocket with them. And wherever we went to eat, out would come his little Ziploc. He'd be slicing up those uh, super hot things to mix with his other foods. So uh, I'm not quite that addicted to them, but I sure do enjoy them. Well, you got to watch out, man, when them roofers come over to put a new roof on that. You better cover the chili. You know, it's so funny you say that because uh, I had an old snag of a of a dead oak tree that needed to come down that was more than I could comfortably, you know, handle. So I called my friends over at Edder Tree Care and 
the guys came out and uh, did a beautiful, quick job on it. And as they were going out my gate, I saw them slam on the brakes. And, uh, you know, the four guys came jumping out of the truck. And uh, the boss, Ed, was standing there talking to him. And he said, what are they doing? Oh, 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 they saw some chili pekins over there. <laughs> so they were they were snatching them out of the wild ones growing out in my yard before they got back on the road. So, Yes, sir. Whether it's tree guys or roofers or whether it's just anybody that loves a good spicy chili. I tell you something I haven't tried, but I intend to when I've got the time. My friend Cappy Lawton, who's one of the best uh, chefs and restaurateurs I know, he takes them and slices them open and uh, smokes them on his grill and then uses them in uh, various cooking he does and it says that it's just one of the most fabulous flavors you can uh, you can add to things. So lots of different good things to do with those little guys. More hotter, more better. That's what I say. More hotter, more better. A friend from Louisiana used to say that all the time. James, you get out and have a good day and uh, a very happy new year. And as always, enjoy our visits. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, James. We'll talk later. Bye. Bye. All right. Let's get Marie in this segment here, and then we'll talk to Clint. Good morning, Marie. Good morning. Good morning. Hearing that, uh, <clears throat> I've decided something I want to ask first. Okay. Concerning peppers, the pepper you've been talking about that's so good, do you have the seed for it? The uh, I don't remember. Um, it's uh, it's called the shishito pepper. There you go. Do you and um, you know, we haven't really started getting our warm weather seeds in yet. Um, I think we probably will. Um, I know I collected, oh golly, probably 5,000 seeds of that little pepper and sent to my friend Howard Garrett, and he's offering them, uh, you know, through dirtdoctor.com. It's just a, a bonus for joining his kind of the, the members only side of, uh, of the dirtdoctor.com website. And I think you, you join and you get all sorts of free seeds and benefits and, can't remember if it's 15 or $25 a year, but I know Howard will be giving away a lot of my shishito pepper seeds. But uh, ask me in about three or four weeks. We should have our spring seeds in by then, and I'll sure let you know. I, I anticipate we will, but I won't promise it till I have them in hand. Well, I'm a hot pepper. Watcher. I've never – the, the only one I don't care for is the habanero. It tastes like perfume smells. I don't think it's hot. I think it's just <laughs> – yeah, but just I, hot. I like the Indian, the Thai, and the, of course the chili beans. And my favorite, I guess, is the Serrano. Oh yeah, Serranos have boy everything from you know making ceviche to uh, just adding a little bit to your guacamole and things. Had a friend, uh, a chef, uh, has passed away several years ago, named Bob Brutledge, that was quite a professional chef, and his uh, his phrase was, "It's hot enough to have some authority." <laughs> i think that's a great way to describe some of those peppers and uh he was an old uh, he was an old louisiana boy so he he knew about good cajun cooking and how to use the peppers but uh what what was your principal interest in the call this morning oh it concerned bruce Bruce dewey yeah Uh, i was wondering I uh, I used to listen to his program. It's not available anymore, to the best of my knowledge. But I don't know how to spell his last name where I can look him up. But is there some way you can reach him nowadays? Um, I would go on the internet and uh, uh, go to his his website. Has always been natureapproved.com. 
and um, his name is spelled D-E-U-L-E-Y. Bruce moved off to uh, West Texas, moved out to the Fort Stockton Alpine area. I think he may actually be in Alpine, and um, has just, I think he's built a house out there and lives on some acreage, and um, uh, he's working on getting one of the public radio stations down there to carry his program, but he's busy, man, and he does so many different things. I think he... Oh, he's fascinating. Yeah, you know, he just... I, I keep telling him if he... His problem is he can't hold any one job for very long, but it's just the <laughs> truth is that he's just such an... He just has so many interests that he just goes off on wild tangents, uh, doing doing different things, and... Uh, I think it's wonderful. Oh, I, I do, it's too. Wonderful. He seems so happy and... And uh, interested in everything, and interested in helping others with his yeah. knowledge. Oh, I and and more power to him. But the best of my knowledge, he's doing very well, and he's just uh, out in that uh, high country of West Texas or higher country. It's it's amazing that climatic differences. I spent parts of three summers in a wildlife management area uh, on the edge of Big Bend out there, and just interesting country and great people. So I imagine we'll hear from Bruce sometime in the in the next few weeks or months, and um, I'll certainly... How am I missing? Well, I will do that, but go to natureapproved.com. So far as I know, that's still an active website, and you can reach him in that way. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. My and pleasure. Happy Marie. New Year. Happy New Year to you and yours as well. Thank you so much. Bye. Goodbye. All right, well, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Clint and Cosette, and uh, you can be next. All you need to do is dial that number, 210-599-5555. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. I'm, I'm kind of like that last call. I wish they still had Bruce Dooney on, on the show. Well, I do, too. I tried to help Bruce along that way and tell him some things that would have made his uh, uh, things a little bit better, but, you know, Bruce had to do things his own way, and I miss having him around. But so far as I know, he's doing very well, and uh, I'm sure he'll let us know if he does get his gig going on uh, public radio, and uh, hopefully they'll at least archive it, or hopefully maybe they'll even stream it, and we can go back to listening to him. I don't think I've ever known anybody that really did a more thorough job of researching a subject before he talked about it so yeah i'm with you i i miss having bruce around and uh can't say i always enjoyed all of his phone calls but i sure enjoyed it when he got on his soapbox and started telling us all the things he'd learned well i forgot to ask you yesterday when i was asking about the uh liquid seaweed for yeah. the antifreeze effect right uh, back in October, is that a once a week, a twice a week foliar spray? I think once it? once every week, uh, even once every two weeks. Beyond that, your plants will benefit. I mean, research has identified something like 95 different beneficial compounds in liquid seaweed, so your plants are always going to benefit from it. But as far as the sugar production, as far as the actual antifreeze production, I think every week to 10 days is about as often as the plants really benefit from. I don't think you increase um, your your cold tolerance if you go on beyond that. So I just try to aim at every week and then sometimes it's every two weeks before I get around to doing it. But uh, that, that will give you the maximum benefits as far as cold protection. But like I say, there's so much good stuff in seaweed that uh, it'd be very hard to overuse it and you're certainly never going to create any problems by using too much of it. Sounds like I should be doing that every so often during the summertime too. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I I very much believe in it. Like I say, the when you stop to think about it, all the rivers of the well, the the lands of the world, you know, dump their sediments and minerals into the streams and rivers. The streams and rivers carry all that material out into the ocean, and um, there's so many different things in seawater. And of course, the kelps are what absorb and use those nutrients out of seawater. And the cold water kelps, the deep kelps, I think they say Icelandic kelp, and they're somewhere off the South American coast uh, and also South African coast in deep water, where they have found that, uh, that that seaweed is just, you know, the best of the best as far as a concentration of different nutrients. Now, even the, even the stuff that washes up on the beach down at Port Aransas would, would have benefits as long as you wash the salt out of it. But there is very definitely a difference in the amount of, of different micronutrients and things that are in the seaweeds. And so, like we talked yesterday, if you want the best of the best, uh, use one of the brands that, that, harvest the kelp from very cold waters and that's going to be the best of the best but you know any seaweed is good seaweed well i'm, I'm guessing i'll get the same effect if i mix it up with my medina uh, uh has to grow oh absolutely in fact has to grow already has a fair amount of it in there um you're just doubling and uh up on that to uh uh, to increase the percentage. I, I'll have to ask Stuart sometime. I don't know. I don't know how exact they are, but, you know, they put liquid seaweed into most all of their liquid products, and that's how they converted, you know, the thing that started their company, which was Medina Soil Activator. Uh, they took and added the liquid seaweed to that and started packaging it as Medina Plus. They kept the soil activator around just because a lot of people just had always swarmed by that name, but I don't think there's anything out there that you won't make better by adding some good liquid seaweed to it uh, they also you know they're also dry seaweed products you can buy dry products and of course it doesn't really dissolve it goes into suspension rather than into solution and what you're buying is so finely powdered that it's actually held in suspension I don't know whether it's brownie in motion or whatever keeps it from settling out to the bottom. Some of it does anyway, but uh, there's just no such thing as bad seaweed. And I, like I say, I think every product out there can be made better by adding a little bit more seaweed to it. Good deal. Now, now next question. I know I'm going to pick up some cow poop here and toss around my fig uh, trees and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, I ain't worried about the pick around because I know they're not using that. Uh, is it best is just to throw it up there and let it uh, fall apart naturally, or should I throw it in a pile for a few weeks to let it compost? And and what is this? Just your composting, just hay and stuff? No, I just want to pick up some uh, fresh poop and throw it up under my trees and let it break down under the trees, or uh-huh. compost it first. You know, if it's basically if it's cattle, horse, goat. Um, anything like that, you might as well just go ahead and use it straight. If you're using any poultry manures, they have, they are a lot hotter, so to speak. They have a lot more, uh, nitrogen in them and could not likely, but could have the potential, uh, to, to burn not seriously, but uh, poultry litters, yeah, I want to pile them and let them decompose, break down, uh, cool off just a little bit before I use them. But other animal manures, no, I think you can pretty much use them uh, straight out of the cow, so to speak. 
And if you want the very best of the best, I'm not sure what you have access to, but uh, if you know anybody that raises rabbits especially or raises anything where they feed alfalfa, alfalfa, of course, is a legume and therefore much higher in uh, nitrogen products and uh, this, you know, is reflected in the manure, and that's what makes, I think, rabbit manure one of the best manure sources out there. Uh, it's the same, same but different with bats. Bats, of course, their primary food is insects. Insects are very high in protein. Proteins are very high in nitrogen, and that's why bat guano, even though you're not really getting bat poop, you're getting bat poop that's been eaten by two generations of beetles, but that's why those products have a much higher nitrogen content, and in those cases, you're actually getting some fertilizing benefit. When you're looking at cow manure and uh, sheep manure and, and really even goats, the animals are so efficient at processing it that the manures, while it has lots of microbial life, has lots of organic material and good things in it, it has virtually no nitrogen, virtually no fertilizer left in it. But uh, when you're looking at things like uh, poultry manure and uh, bat manure, and again, anything that's been fed alfalfa hay, uh, those manures have enough uh have enough nitrogen in them to actually be a fertilizer as well as just a good source of organic material and microbial life. Okay. You just gave me another idea. What can I plant in the field to help bring up the nitrogen? I know you're saying something else, like put the nitrogen back in the soil. Well, the most effective way to put nitrogen into the soil, because some forms of nitrogen are highly water-soluble, and that's the way it is with most synthetic fertilizers, and that's why if you're listening to county agent people, they're telling you practically what hour, what day to put it out because it's not going to stay there. It's going to dissolve. It's going to go away, and um, that's why one of the several reasons that I don't really like the synthetic fertilizers, when you're looking at organic nitrogen sources, for the most part, that is insoluble nitrogen uh bears a different electric charge and lots of differences but it stays in place and so what you would like to do to get more nitrogen back in the soil is be sure that the nitrogen is going into the soil in a form that will remain there until the plants use it and by far the most effective way to do that is to plant a legume of some sort and of course legumes have the ability to make little nodules on the roots which are filled with bacteria uh, certain kinds of bacteria which can actually take nitrogen out of the air, atmospheric nitrogen, and convert it into a fertilizer per se, which is then sequestered in the soil. So whether it's vetch, whether it's clover, whether it's Austrian winter peas, um, even some of our native plants like uh, mountain laurels are nitrogen or plants that sequester the nitrogen through this uh this these little nodules that form on their roots so the best way to build your land is to plant a legume of some sort and uh let it mature you can let the animals eat the tops off of it that's not going to change anything but don't go through plowing or doing a lot of things that bring all this stuff on the surface where it can uh, be converted to forms that don't stay in the soil so well but uh there's nothing nothing like vetch vetch is probably one of the best things for field use because the seed is so inexpensive in the vegetable garden i think some of the winter peas are some of the best things that you can use the problem is and i tried planting vetch uh, my place up in the hill country but i've got so blasted many deer that they hardly let it come up before they eat it down but if you're looking to build your soil 
a wintertime cover crop with one of the legumes is going to be probably the single best way to naturally put that nitrogen back into the soil along with a lot of other good things. So either the vetch or the clover? Um, vetch is probably a little more expensive, a little more um, effective, and it's certainly not as expensive. Clover is excellent, but uh, the clover, if your soil is already you know, being improved, uh, and again, I'll go back to a Malcolm Beck story, but uh, Malcolm planted something called Hubam clover, which in poor soils, that stuff will grow five, six feet tall, and the seed is fairly expensive. And Malcolm planted the Hubam clover, had uh, had plants as high as his head, and man, he started seeing dollar signs. He was going to collect the seed and make a fortune, but uh, one of his wiser friends who you know professor i think somewhere said malcolm this is the last time you're going to see clover that big you know on your property and malcolm said oh you don't know what you're talking about well the the uh the hubam clover improved the soil so much that the next year when malcolm planted hubam clover it only grew about 12 inches tall and he didn't have nearly the seed production so uh vetch is going to give you a pretty good effect every year Clover is going to vary from year to year, depending on the soil that it's planted in, and also to some extent on rainfall and temperatures and things like that. So, uh, if you want to blend them up, you know that would be a uh, would be a good thing to do as well. Good deal. Okay, I appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure, Clint. Good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Bye. All right, well, those phone lines have filled up now, so we're going to talk to Cosette and then to uh, David and Maria, I'm sorry, Marcia and Debbie. Good morning, Cosette. Thanks for calling this morning. Good morning, Bob. How was your Christmas? Oh, my Christmas was wonderful. Got to run up to Dallas for a day. Thank you, Southwest Airlines, and see some family I don't get to see very often, so it was a very blessed Christmas. How about you? Not well. I spent most of the day in the kitchen. Well, that's not all bad. And think of all the people that benefited from your time in the kitchen. They did. And the joy of it was I was burning so many calories by cleaning up after everybody that I didn't have to worry about making that New Year's resolution to lose weight. Oh, there you go. Well, I uh, I have a little New Year's Eve gathering, and I've burned a, a lot of calories uh, house cleaning myself, so I can totally identify with you. It's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I have a question. Um, the only thing that's been really successfully growing in my yard are my knockout roses. Okay. Um, and they've gotten fuller, and they look nice. But when I go to the store, and I'm a novice, what is the difference between plant fertilizer and plant food? Is None. It the same thing? Yeah, it's just two different names for the same thing. Um, okay. Yeah, it's kind of like vitamins and supplements. <laughs> you know, I guess technically <laughs> uh, there might be some differences in vitamins and supplements, but to me they're they're used for the same purpose. And plant food, plant fertilizer – Maybe at some point plant food was used more to describe natural products and fertilizers were more synthetic or man-made, but uh, I don't think anybody, most people wouldn't even know the difference these days, and I don't think there is for any practical purpose any differences at all. I will tell you that with roses, they have special 
things that help them a little bit more. Magnesium in particular uh, is the reason some people, you know, add Epsom salts and their roses grow even better. I just like using a totally balanced fertilizer that has all the micronutrients in it. Uh, The original good fertilizer for roses was called rose glow it was made by a company called maestro grow there's some others out there making good products for roses specifically now uh, espoma is one we actually went to the people that made the rose glow and said how would you make it better and he thought of three more things uh, two or three more things to add and so they make a special fertilizer for us but roses are going to be happy with anything but if you want to give them sort of the uh you know filet mignon of the fertilizer world Get something specifically formulated for roses. Okay. And also, um, I had told you that I have uh, carpet grass, and I am telling you it is a pain (laughs) to try to pull that grass around the roses. Sure. I have a very busy, hectic schedule. So the grass kind of took over, but I went in there with some grass cutters Mm -hmm. and cut around, but the grass is around the roots. Is that a bad thing? Or should I tackle that in the spring and let the grass protect the roots in the winter? Well, it's strictly cosmetic. Um, I mean, people will tell you that, oh, it looks ugly to have all this stuff growing around your roses. Roses don't really care. Maybe the grass gets a little bit of the water, maybe gets a little bit of the nutrient that otherwise the roses would get. But uh, the main thing people object to is just appearance. So you decide how important that is to you. I will tell you that by using a fairly loose and open mulch on the surface of the soil, you will very much reduce the amount of grass that you have growing up underneath the the roses and it will be much easier to pull that grass out and so rather than get a and most mulches you know i like to see a lot of compost in them um i think around roses you know maybe something that doesn't have as much compost has more just bark or something like that in it put a couple of inches of that over the surface of the soil not right up against the stems but that's gonna retard a lot of that grass growth into the area and it's going to make it much easier to pull up the grass that grows around the roses uh, if you want to keep a neater looking bed. Oh, great. And I have one other little quick question and I thought, who would know but Bob Webster? A local beekeeper gave us some honey in a mason jar. Uh-huh. How, how do you store it? You just leave. Do you have to put it in the fridge? No. Um, basically, honey is antimicrobial. If you've ever noticed, honey never grows mold. Uh, even if you have a jar of honey sitting out, uh, you know, for days and weeks, you never grow mold on it. And it's one reason we never use honey in making compost tea and things like that, because it is naturally antimicrobial. The big issue with uh, local honey um, and, you know, most most other really good honeys is that they are so good and so high in sugar, they will tend to crystallize. When that happens, you can simply put them in a warmer uh, water bath of warm water, and it will go back into a liquid state. But there's absolutely no reason uh, to put your honey in the refrigerator or anywhere else. I would close the jar back up, but it can sit out on your counter. And when it does get fairly crystallized, and, you know, I put it in... Uh, I. I'm a hot tea drinker rather than a coffee drinker, and I'll many times sweeten it a little bit with honey. And even if it's sort of crystalline, it dissolves immediately in the hot water. But if you want it for other uses, uh, you know, 
spread on toast or whatever else and it, your your jar of honey has crystallized then just set it down in a water bath good hot water and uh, it will go back into a fully liquid state fairly quickly well i've had it since last may is it still good it's good uh 10 years from now it'll still be good oh, in fact awesome. with that microbial uh, antimicrobial effect that it has if you ever have the misfortune of getting a severe burn and i mean you go over to the burn ward at bamsey or some of the places that that work on really 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 bad burns one of the main things they will put on the skin is honey because it promotes healing discourages uh the growth of uh, damaging bacteria and things like that and uh, if you ever get a bad burn in addition to aloe uh, spreading a little honey over it uh, will protect the skin and will help promote the healing there uh, honey's just a uh, one of nature's m- magic amazing substances i of course think the best honeys i would be reluctant to Use honey that's uh, been in an area where they do a lot of pesticide spraying, which is why we have all the problems with the bees dying out. But uh, you're you're very blessed to have somebody. We have a wonderful lady, uh, at, uh, a friend, uh, not just a customer, but a friend of many years that uh, brings, they have a big ranch in South Texas, and she brings a uh, big jar of honey for every employee at the nursery. And let me just tell you, we look forward to Kathy's uh, arrival around the holiday season every year because uh, that, that good local honey is just outstanding. And uh, like I say, it, it never goes bad. It will crystallize on you, which makes it harder to use. But uh, just, you know, a, a water bath, stick that jar just down in good warm not boiling but good fairly hot water and it will uh it'll liquefy again very quickly right and it's supposed to be good for allergies right and depending on uh what uh the pollens the bees were collecting um some is better than others and that's why i think local honey is better than honey that's uh, brought in from brazil or california or any of those foreign countries uh but yes uh that's one of the many many benefits of good local honey Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bob, and have a wonderful New Year. And you do the same, and a healthy and prosperous one as well. Good to talk to you, Cassette. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, right back to the phone lines. It's going to be David, Marsha, Debbie, and Shannon. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. Morning. I listened to a previous caller. You were recommending nitrogen-fixing characteristics of fetch. Vetch, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Vetch, excuse me. Uh, is that the same thing as hairy vetch? Hairy vetch is one variety of vetch. There are probably a dozen, 15 different varieties. Hairy vetch is just one of the very good ones that grows very well in our area, provided you can give it a little bit of moisture. And, of course, like all legumes, uh, you'll get the best effects if you inoculate it. Most of the people who sell the seed uh, have the inoculant that goes along with it, and, you know, half a pound of inoculant will uh inoculate 200 pounds of seed so yeah hairy vetch is just one of many varieties of vetch but it's an extremely good one how much seed for a 20 by 60 area 20 by 60 area we're talking 1200 square feet we're probably looking at two to three pounds of seed best place to buy locally uh douglas king seed company um, they will sell that? I believe no. they have it. They usually have it in stock. You can check them out online today at DK, DKSeeds.com. Um, they're over on the southeast side of San Antonio, very near the corner of Loop 410 yeah. and I-10. And uh, they'll also ship to your door if you don't want to make the trip over there. Okay, second question. <laughs> um, when you were talking about uh, the best manures, um, that was also another caller I was walking 
I'm on my way to work. I actually <laughs> lucky you. Car, <laughs> I have my car parked right down the street from your nursery. Oh, um, very good. Um, so worm ca- worm castings is that considered a manure? Is it not? People never speak of it as a manure, but that's exactly what it is. Um, we think of manures as things that go through digestive tract of animals and come out the back end basically an earthworm is one long intestine surrounded by a little bit of muscle and other things but um uh and and again things are things are a little different in an earthworm but yes basically earthworm castings could be considered uh, a worm poop so to speak so i guess that would make it a manure so i'm trying to grow them but i'm trying to get away from everybody saying well the best thing to feed them is peat moss because it's not renewable and you need something in there besides the food scraps or everything gets kind of putrid really quick. Um, what would you suggest as a substitute for peat in the earthworm environment? Well, um, again, any kind of compost is just absolutely outstanding. Um, natural coffee grounds are very good. Uh, any kind of have, leaf mold. I have a lot of oak leaves that I carry from year to year. Sure, I pack up, I pack them in bags underneath my fig tree for a year. Yeah, and then I bring them, bring them out. Those are still. Do I have to munch them up a bit more because they're still not completely small? Well, think about your earthworm. Uh, it doesn't have any jaws. It can't chew things up. It has to have things in a fine enough particle that it can pass. You know, into the opening one opening on the one end of the worm and come out the opening on the other end of the worm so to speak so um red oaks and that kind of leaves are much softer leaf than the live oak live oak leaves are fine but they would need to i'd be chopping them up slicing dicing you know however you can and just you know think about when you go out into uh when i go out in my garden or anywhere else i'm looking to see what is in you know, where the earthworms are, where they are in the soil. Uh, bottom of my compost pile is full of earthworms. I tell you what, anywhere that I have ever put, uh, it's the one negative. I love putting down uh, fertilizer in advance of the time that I'm planting, but I almost hate to do it. And I use a lot of the Medina fertilizer products, but I put those down, put a little compost on top of them, let it sit for six weeks before I plant my tomatoes and peppers. And man, it's hard digging a hole without slicing and dicing uh, the earthworms up. So uh, any any kind of material like that will work well i will tell you if you want an interesting read or if you want to listen to an interesting cd uh look for a book it's by a lady named amy stewart s-t-e-w-a-r-t and the book is called the earth moved i never knew how many much there was to know about earthworms and all the different kinds of earthworms this is about four and a half hours of listening uh, this is basically all about earthworms, and, and it would be a good read for you. But there's so many different kinds of worms, and if you're getting into vermiculture, which is the name applied to growing earthworms, uh, the the substrate that you choose for the worms to live in will may be determined to some extent by which type of earthworms you choose to grow. Mm, okay. All right. So one final comment: the lady on the honey. Uh-huh. My dad was a my dad was a beekeeper. <clears throat> I'm a beekeeper. My son's a beekeeper. My grandson's a beekeeper. Great. Uh, honey is the absolute most complete food. Um, if it's raw and locally grown, there's all kinds of great things to have in it. 
But it was so funny when she says, well, how long does it last? Haven't they pulled that out of the pyramids or something? I Haven't don't. They pulled it out a long time ago. And uh, as, they, as I love to say, 10,000 bears can't be wrong. Hey, that means I'm about to go to news, David. Uh, we'll talk again. This is KTSC Radio, San Antonio, Texas. Thank you.